Hello and welcome to part three in our mini-series on the deaths of Playboy models. I'm Gemma. And I'm Emily. In the last podcast, we looked at the death of rising star Dorothy Stratton, who was murdered by her ex-husband when only 20 years old. This time, we look at the murder of model Jasmine Fiore by her whirlwind romance husband. I'm going to put this out here as a trigger warning for domestic abuse and suicide. So if that's not for you, please don't listen. Tell us about Jasmine. Born Jasmine Lepore on February the 18th, 1981 in Santa Cruz, California, later taking the name Vior as a stage name. Her parents divorced when she was eight and her mother, a ceramic artist, raised her. But she was said to have had a, quote, normal and happy childhood, holding a part-time job at a grocery store and being on a football team. As a teen, she was described as a tomboy. In her late teens, she was scouted as a model and loved the idea of being famous. Her idol was Marilyn Monroe, and so she began with swimsuit modelling and did work with Playboy magazine, as well as advertising for sex phone lines. She was the model in the images that you saw on the billboards, basically. Through her hard work, she became somewhat of a celebrity, and by her mid-twenties, she was the it girl in LA and being invited to parties at the Playboy mansion. She knew that she didn't want to be a model forever, and so she invested the money that she was making wisely. She gained her real estate license and wanted to eventually open her own gym. As an attractive woman, Jasmine got a lot of male attention, and she dated a lot of men too. But she wasn't willing to just settle for anyone. She had a long-term on-and-off relationship with Robert Hazeman, who she saw as a soulmate, but the two often argued and broke up. And by the early 2000s, they broke up for the final time. In 2005, she met and became engaged to Travis Heinrich, but unfortunately this relationship too came to an end in 2008, but the two seemed to stay friends. It also seems to be going well for Jasmine career-wise, so when did she meet her husband? Jasmine went on to book jobs in Las Vegas, where she modelled for restaurant ads and worked as a swimsuit model. It was a Hawaiian tropic party in March of 2009 that she met Ryan Jenkins, who was 32, a Calgary native who ran a construction company and had just finished filming VH1 reality show Megan Wants a Millionaire. Think The Bachelor, but women in charge this time. Their romance was very much a whirlwind. They spent the first 48 hours after they met together and on the third day they ran off to the Las Vegas Strip and got married. Now, to begin with, the relationship was great and they were seen as a power couple and constantly constantly throwing parties. But besides their feelings, the couple also had alternative reasons for being together. Ryan wanted a green card and he promised Jasmine $10,000 a month as a monthly allowance for her. But soon things seemed to go downhill. It became apparent that Ryan liked the idea of other men wanting Jasmine more than the reality of it, and he began to spiral in his jealousy. Jasmine, it could be said, didn't really help in this as she was caught kissing another man at a pool party in June of 2009, and this sparked a jealous rage in Ryan. He started screaming at her, and according to Jasmine's ex, Travis, he, quote, punched her in the arm with enough force to push her into a pool. Jasmine did press charges for this and he was put into a holding cell for two days and had a year's worth of probation. This event marked the turning point in the relationship 
where it became very toxic. Ryan continued to be jealous and Jasmine began lying about who she was meeting to stop him getting angry. She moved to LA and got an apartment there. One friend has said that this was in order to see Ryan chase her, but that friend and their motivation has been debated a lot over the years. Travis himself tells a different story, saying that, quote, she said, I'm in over my head and I don't know how I can get out. Ryan did follow her to LA and moved into her apartment. A note here that it was an apartment that her money was paying for. He contributed absolutely nothing to it. But things were just getting worse between them and he began cheating on her in order to get some kind of revenge. And on one occasion, he brought a woman into Jasmine's apartment and slept with her in their bed, knowing that she would catch them together, which she did. Oh, that sounds lovely. Right? Sounds like a perfect relationship. It does sound very toxic. Yeah, not the best. But this is where you tell us that she left and lived happily ever after, right? Uh, maybe not. So by this point, Jasmine was done and she threatened to get their marriage annulled. This worried Ryan because he needed Jasmine for this green card. During this time, he contacted Megan Hauserman from the reality TV show that he'd filmed and had yet to air. And she was also a former Playboy model. And he tried to rekindle their romance from the show. But Megan made it very clear that that wasn't happening. And Ryan was telling Megan about the idea he had to get his wife back. He was going to go onto the show, I Love Money, and win $250,000 for her. Now, money is quite an important point in this whole case because in their marriage, Jasmine never saw a penny of the $2.5 million Ryan was supposedly worth. And she began to suspect that something wasn't quite right with what he was saying about money being held up in Canada. On July the 27th, 2009, Ryan sent Jasmine an email that professed his true and lasting love, saying, quote, if you could come back to me and stop all the craziness, we could have a wonderful life. Your forgiveness, trust and loyalty is all I need right now. And when your your love for me grows and our lives are heading in the right direction, I'll truly feel complete. Jenkins wrote, I will never leave you. I only want you. And with that, in the summer of 2009, Ryan went away to Mexico to film I Love Money. He did end up winning, although the show never aired. Mark Cronin, co-founder of 51 Minds Entertainment, the production company behind the majority of VH1's wildly successful, quote, celeb reality shows of that era, was asked about Ryan on the set of I Love Money. And he said, quote, he kept telling on the phone, I'm going to win this and you and I are going to have the life I've always promised. Then he would ask her, where were you last night? Because he's in Mexico shooting the show. He was very jealous and very suspicious of her. We were actually making a story of it on the show. We were like, look at this guy. He's obsessed with this model he married. It was funny until it wasn't funny at all. After Ryan won and went home, things seemed to be great again between the couple. And on August 3rd, the show Megan Wants a Millionaire aired and Ryan shot into reality TV stardom overnight. Okay, so there, there were a lot of red flags and things were a bit rocky, but it seems like it got better. So what happens? So on August the 13th, 2009, the couple attended a charity poker game in San Diego. And after it finished, they and some of the other celebrities went into the Ivy Hotel nightclub for the evening. But by August the 15th, it became clear that something was wrong. Ryan began te texting friends to ask if they'd seen Jasmine. 
who seemed to be missing. He told them that she had driven them home in her white Mercedes and had dropped him off, saying that she had a couple of errands to run and that she'd be home. But none of her friends had seen her and they were growing worried. Ryan believed that she was just trying to prove some point, but eventually at 9pm on the 15th, he reported her missing to the police. And I'm just going to add another trigger warning here because the next part gets gory. So while all this is happening, the Buana Park Police Department received a call in the early hours of August the 15th. The caller said he worked at a nearby apartment complex and that the trash collector had discovered a body in a suitcase in one of the dumpsters. He said the man believed that it was a body of a child. The police arrived around 7.30am. They flipped the lid open on the suitcase and discovered that it was not the body of a child, but a young woman. She was naked and in the fetal position. The victim was, of course, taken for an autopsy and the medical examiner said that the cause of death was manual strangulation. The victim's fingertips and teeth had been removed after she had died and the body was badly beaten. The police knew they were going to have a hard time identifying this young woman. They started by putting the victim's information in the system to see if anyone had filed a missing persons report, but they weren't able to find any reports filed. Then the ME discovered that the victim had breast implants, which had a serial number on, and the police were able to look up the serial number, and they came back as belonging to Jasmine Fior. The Buona Park Police contacted the Los Angeles Police when a new hit came up for Jasmine being reported as a missing person. Ryan's story was that Jasmine had dropped him off after they returned home from the poker tournament in San Diego, and then she went to get her nails done. The police asked Ryan to come in and speak to them, but he said he had to go to Canada to try and fix his visa issues. He also told the police that Jasmine had run away in the past and that he wasn't that concerned. Obviously, this didn't look good on him. Wow. So what did the investigation find? Well, police discovered the hotel that the couple had stayed in during their time in San Diego and went to the Alberg Del Mar Hotel and asked to look at surveillance cameras which were all over the hotel. At 3.28pm, Ryan and Jasmine arrived in Jasmine's white Mercedes. The hotel employees are seen helping them with their luggage, while Ryan and Jasmine look for the front desk. After they checked in, they were then seen walking to the elevators and eventually in their room. The couple don't appear back on the surveillance cameras until two hours later, both dressed up, ready to spend the night out on the town. The poker tournament was held at another hotel, which was about 10 minutes from the hotel where they were staying. So police then went to the other hotel um, to interview potential witnesses who saw them that night. Many employees uh, said that they remembered the couple and they said that they left Jasmine's car at the hotel while they went out, returning at about 2.30am, leaving in Jasmine's car to go back to their hotel. The police focused on the camera near their room at the Loberg Del Mar Hotel and waited until they saw Jasmine and Ryan returning. However, Ryan was the only one who seen returning to the hotel uh, when at 4.38am he's seen running in the hallway and he disappears into his room. And he's seen again a few minutes later dressed in sweatpants and a tank top carrying an ice bucket. And with what police believe was also the room phone. While the police were looking in the room, they found that as housekeepers had been in there, there was unlikely to be much evidence. 
if any evidence left there, but they discovered a second entrance to the room from the patio. Now, the hotel room was on the first floor, and there was only a small wall that separated the patio from the hotel's parking lot. So they believed that it was possible that Ryan could have killed Jasmine and taken the suitcase out the back door, avoiding the hotel cameras. Investigators searched the outdoor patio more closely and found a spot of blood and long dark hair. The blood was tested and came back as belonging to Jasmine. The police now knew that Ryan had done something to Jasmine, but they still didn't have a lot of evidence to prove where she was killed. The police turned back to the surveillance footage. Ryan is seen again at 6.24am. He has his hands full of their clothes and toiletries. Then he isn't seen again till 9.20am and is never seen on the footage again. The police also discovered that Jasmine and Ryan had arrived with the same suitcase that Jasmine was found inside of and Ryan is never seen carrying the same suitcase. And this is why they believe that Ryan took it out of the back door. Believing that Ryan was the killer... They then went to Ryan's apartment only to discover it had been completely cleared out. The police went to search the underground parking area and Jasmine's white Mercedes and Ryan's black SUV were both missing. The police also received a call that Ryan had a storage unit in Las Vegas and that he owned a boat. The police raced to Las Vegas but they were too late. Ryan's boat had been taken. His black SUV and boat ramp were eventually found in Blaine, Washington which is on the edge of the Canadian border. And it's believed that Ryan had got into Canada around August 19th or the 20th and had spoken to his parents. As Ryan went on the run, press uncovered his previous criminal record. He was arrested in 2005 for assaulting a girlfriend in Calgary. In January 2007, convicted of assaulting his then-girlfriend, Ferndjul. He was sentenced to 15 months probation, which included counselling for sex, addis- sex addiction and domestic violence. None of what VH1 and 51 Minds said appeared on his background check. On August the 23rd, the manager of the Thunderbird Motel in Hope, British Columbia, called the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. He said that Ryan Jenkins was dead in his hotel. After Ryan didn't check out, they went into his room and found him hanging in the closet by his belt. Witnesses said that an attractive woman had paid for the room for three days up front and went into the room with a man, but she left soon after. The police discovered that this was his half-sister, Anna Jenkins. The witness said that Anna stayed with Ryan for about 20 minutes and then left him alone. Ryan had written a suicide note on his laptop titled Last Will and Testament. In the note, Ryan said that he was going to be portrayed as a monster, but the real monster was Jasmine. He said he gave everything to her and loved her. He never confessed confessed to killing Jasmine, although we know his father had called him to say Jasmine's body had been found. Sergeant Bill Kohenke said, quote, about half of the letter described how much he loved her, and in the same breath he would talk about how frustrated she made him, and that he felt very jealous about some of her relationships, and that frustrated him immensely. Oh, the male ego. Mm-hmm. Did they ever find her car, though, the white Mercedes? They did. They found it a few days after Ryan was found. On August the 26th, the police received a tip about an abandoned car. The car was a white Mercedes and it was the one that had belonged to Jasmine. When the police opened it to process it, they discovered that it was a crime scene. There was blood everywhere on the door panels, in the carpet, on the door seals. There was also blood in the back seat, and the police believed that Ryan had placed the suitcase with Jasmine's body in it. On that seat, and the blood had soaked through it. 
in the glove box, police found a letter addressed to Jasmine from Ryan and it showed police the mindset that Ryan was in, which was basically anger at his wife. In the investigation, the police had obtained Jasmine's phone records and discovered that she'd been texting her ex-boyfriend, Robert Hazeman, on the night that she died. Jasmine had told him she was over her relationship with Ryan and wanted to be with him. Jasmine's ex-boyfriend was a wealthy man and had a private plane and Jasmine asked if he could come pick her up and take her away. The police believed that Ryan discovered the text messages when he and Jasmine had gotten into the car to drive home. He attacked her in the car, snuck her back into the hotel room through the back door before leaving the room with an ice bucket and the room phone so Jasmine couldn't call anyone before he then strangled her, put her body in the suitcase and discarded her in a dumpster. He then drove himself home, began texting himself from Jasmine's phone in order to try and then cover his tracks. Wow, he sounds lovely. Yeah. I mean, clearly, he'd obviously thought about what he was going to do. Yeah. I mean, beating her wasn't bad enough. He needed to actually murder her just to make sure another man couldn't have her. Yeah. And completely destroy her as well by taking her teeth and her fingertips. Oh, yeah. Like, that's... Yeah. I read a statistic the other day that said two women a week are killed by their current or ex-partner within the UK. Wow. That's terrifying. It really is. It's the fact that underneath this statistic, there were just reams of men writing, well, it's not all men. Yeah. No, but it's too many. Yeah. Crazy. It does make me want to scream into the void, though. Definitely. I think some of it is there's so many there were so many red flags and nobody steps in. And I know you can't force people not to see each other. No. But yeah. Just it's just so sad. Like these women had their lives ahead of them. Yeah. Definitely in Jasmine's um, case, I mean, you know, she was making plans for what to do when modelling was no longer the thing that she could do. You know, she was smart with her money. Mm. And in the end, that's all that he wanted out of her was a green card and her money. Yeah. You know how you make me put like money in the dad jar when I make a pun? Yeah. I've decided that you're going to have a jar and every time you make me sad about a woman, you've got to put money in it. Okay. <laughs> I wonder whose jar will fill up first. Well, <laughs> it's a tough one. It is. These podcasts have been really interesting though because I didn't know much about playboy the culture of mm. um before yeah i think yeah it it is that kind of celeb culture and the culture that comes with that really isn't it it's mm. a difficult one it's funny how many men think they want a playboy bunny until they get one and realize that all the other men looking at them makes them not feel so great yeah and that jealousy really kicks in yeah so over the last few podcasts, we've looked at the deaths of Adrian Pollock, Bobby Arnstein, Dorothy Stratton and Jasmine Fiore. All four of these women were in, associated in some way with Playboy. And it's hard to say how much the lifestyle that Playboy created within its pages added to these women's plight. But it does go to show that women in the limelight face really huge struggles when it comes to finding good men. In the case of Dorothy and Jasmine, a bad choice in their love life caused their deaths. Adrian's downfall seemed to come from the party lifestyle that she'd become involved with, and Bobby's death could be chalked up to real mental health struggles and loyalty to her boss and friend. 
all four deaths are tragedies in their own right. Unfortunately, these are not the only women associated with Playboy that were ultimately taken too soon. You have Paige Young, who committed suicide and left a mural on her wall, which slated Hef in as the devil. Christina Carlin Craft, who choked to death in her bed. Ashley Mattingly, who took her own life. Cassandra Lynn Hensley, who died following a cocaine overdose. Again, all of these women are somehow related to that lifestyle, that celebrity lifestyle that came with being involved with Playboy. You can see parallels with today, like Love Island Mm. and those kind of shows. How many of the stars that have been on that have spoken out afterwards and said, you know, this has caused me to have mental health battles or they've got into bad relationships through it. Um, it, It's just just like a never-ending cycle. Although I, I, I feel like sometimes the public have to take responsibility that like people don't think the nasty things they write online affect real people but they do yeah and also the victim blaming of well you wanted to be a celebrity and that's what comes with it yeah and it's also still that old sort of patriarchal view that because a woman is proud of how she looks and dates a few men and you know enjoys that lifestyle she somehow deserves it or she's asking for it that we really need to get rid of definitely this is the last one in our Playboy miniseries. We will yeah. be back with our normal brand of chaos. We'll be back in July with another After Dark podcast as we're taking June off, theoretically. But don't worry, we will not be without content. We have five mythology slash folklore podcasts for you. But until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.